Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome once again to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is episode 137 of a podcast about craft beer and film based out of Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. And I am Johnny Summers. The man that you just heard is... Already, huh? Can we at least do the housekeeping before you start having fun with nope. me? He is three quarters of the way through a four loco. We'll tell you more about that later. No, In the I, meantime, no, 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 no. Because if there's any new listeners, I want to establish that I'm not just like the four loco guy that just drinks them for fun. That's uh, insanity. You do. You, I certainly don't. You walk to the gas station Listen, sir. and buy four locos and drink them in a brown paper bag. I will put up with a lot on the show from you, but I will not put up with you slandering my name by saying I go and drink these for fun. So please, would you be so kind as to tell people why I am drinking a four loco this week? Yes. So we have a long standing agreement that if one of us cannot see the movie to be featured and reviewed, they have to consume a four loco either before or during the show. And Max decided to do it mostly before with about 25% of the said four loco remaining to be consumed during this episode. So when that happens, the person that didn't see the movie kind of takes on more of an interviewer role, yes. uh, which would be Max. And he will be asking me kinds of fun questions about the movie that I went to see, which this week is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. On that note, if you haven't seen it yet, this is opening weekend. We're covering it just afterwards, actually. Um, we're not going to spoil it until the very end of the show, um, though this is based on a book or a series of books back in uh, a couple decades ago. We're not going to spoil stuff. The movie is slightly different than the books. Um, we'll give you plenty of heads up before we spoil it. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us or find us on social media, we're at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. You can also uh, check out our website at freshhopcinema.com uh, with the www dot in front of that. Um, anything else? Patreon. Yeah, I guess Patreon's probably Patreon's a cool thing. You can support us. Little as a dollar a week. Mm -hmm. Access to bonus content weekly that we record, which is a little bit deeper glimpse into the seedy underbelly of my life <laughs> and the glowing underbelly of Max's sure. life. Uh, one last shout out then. We have an event, Patreon people. That's this weekend. So if you haven't told us you can or cannot come, please reach out to us on Patreon or our Facebook group. Uh, let us know. We have events and we have fun stuff for those of you not on Patreon. If, you're, if you like that, just join us. It's a lot of fun. Totally. Also, keep telling your friends that don't listen where they can get us. Yeah. You know, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. All that jazz. Anywhere you can find podcasts. Big shout out to Patreon member and friend of the show, Raleigh Munn, for getting us a new follower on Instagram. So oh, he's that's been, fun. He's been pimping us out like the holy gospel. Yeah. Good work I on that. I love that. Yep. Thanks, man. Good work. Let's get to the episode. Right. So we have, uh, we're going to start off the show with our first beer. And this beer is fire. It's gone off the racks. It's the fire racks, if you will. Of uh, hell. Of hell. Uh, it was donated to us by a friend of the show and patron, uh, Miyagi. Thank you so much. This was straight from uh, the Sacramento horse's mouth. In keeping with our film this week, this is a beer called Infinite Suffering. This came from a horse's mouth. Sure. I like Why it not? Who cares? Uh, it's from New Glory out of Sacramento. It's an imperial stout. Um, modeled around a tiramisu. It's it's 15.5%. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, pairs wonderfully with a 14% Four loco. Max is going to die. I don't know what's going to happen, man. Anyways, uh, they have on their website here, it was brewed in collaboration with uh, Nightmare Brewing out of Farmingdale, New York. It's conditioned on Valiant Coffee from Loomis, California, Cacao Nibs, and Madagascar Bourbon Vanilla. 
And if, I'm expecting something sweet. Absolutely. I can smell it from here. I can tell it's going to be sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not familiar with Nightmare Brewing out of Farmingdale, New York, they have some of the most metal labels in all of the beer game. Every single one of their labels could be an album cover to a death metal band that I have on my right. phone. Miyagi handed me this can today and said, this matches not only you. your shirt. Yeah, your personality. Look at the shirt I'm wearing. No, I know. It's perfect. He's like, this not only matches your shirt, but just you. Yeah, right. I'm like, yes, I love Actually, it. Uh, yeah, I, did, I couldn't really see. Your shirt's printed all over. You're wearing a vest over it, so I can't fully see. But we need to take a picture of you holding the can in front of your shirt because that's uh, wonderful. Yes. I think. Safe to say the label was designed by Nightmare. Yes. If you check out their, I mean, their logo is kind of like a death metal text yeah. uh, font with like uh, some bat wings making mm-hmm. a pentagram. It's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I, I so Miyagi kind of teased us with this. He was like, yeah, I think I could probably get this this beer. I'd have to pull a few strings, but I can get it for you guys to to pair with this movie. Um, and he sent me a picture. I looked up a picture, and I was like, I don't know if that's New Glory. Like, the can looks nothing like the rest yeah. of theirs. They're usually um, sort of like an all-over print design of maybe like a hop or um, a churro, depending on what their beer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I will say, if you've listened to this podcast uh, and you know my taste at all, I'm a little bit off put by this uh, can art. It's freaking me out a little bit. I told Miyagi it would scare you. It does. It does. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. But I'm excited to try the beer because if I don't look at it, the can, I mean, it does smell really good. It smells like a really good Imperial Stout. Uh, my thoughts are that it's initially going to be a little bit too sweet, probably for me. Um, I'm hoping it's not overly carbonated. Um, I want a little bit of that bitterness from the chocolate. And I don't want the vanilla to be overpowering. After your first taste, what are you experiencing? That's really well balanced. That is super, super not as sweet as I thought it was going to be. It's not nearly as sweet as it smells, which is nice. Oh, it yeah. is a definitely an enjoyable level of sweet. I, I like that. I like the way everything's working in it. The coffee's present. The cacao nibs are present. And the Madagascar bourbon vanilla is a little bit present. It adds mm. kind of a heat. Uh, and a little bit of vanilla, like uh, sweetness, kind of in the middle uh, of this beer. Yeah, it finishes super coffee and chocolate. Yeah. So two episodes ago, episode one thirty five, we covered a beer from Great Notion called Cake Party, which, after reading what that beer was supposed to be, we were also scared it was going to be a little bit too sweet and a little bit too desserty. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think this stacks up? I'm I'm getting the vibe that it's not as sweet as we thought, but um, is it sweet enough? I guess. To, to be worth our time as, as a quote-unquote dessert tiramisu stout? Um, or could it be sweeter? Should it be sweeter, dare I ask? I could stand for this beer to be like 25% sweeter, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. but I like that it's not. Uh, dessert stouts typically are way too sweet, in my opinion, a little over the top. So for this one to be just like a little toned down um, and just a little bit more bitter and focused on that coffee and chocolate note, yeah, Um this brewery they collaborated with doesn't sound too sweet at all. Like nothing sure. about them sounds sure. very sweet. Right. So I could see this beer being more bitter than it should be. Yeah. I, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mentioned new glory, like you could have a churro on the label. They did it. Was it called Ace Venturo? Yeah. Um, they've which, done that. They've done flipping good, which sure. is like a pancake mm-hmm. thing. They've done a, I think it was called King size, which was a, a basically a snicker bar. Okay. Um, inspired. They've done some brownie inspired beers. 
Um, they've done all kinds of like super sweet over the top beers. I mean, they were one of the first ones that did like the key lime pie goza, oh, yeah. which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're really known for their sweetness and right. this is definitely a toned down dessert stout, which yeah, I, I mean, like. That's what I was worried about it. Cause like new glory, I mean, even if they're like hazy stuff, it's, it's always very, I'm, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but not subtle always. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of expecting this to be uh, a palate punch. Um, and it's not, and I think that's to to its benefit. This beer smells so good. Yeah, it smells good, and it smells super sweet, uh, almost like a chocolate candle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a little, <laughs> I mean, which I, I, if they haven't made that yet, they really should. Is that even a thing? It should it be. It smells like a chocolate candle. I've had a coffee candle before. Yeah. I assume chocolate, I, I bet you there's a chocolate candle in the world. I'm going to find you a chocolate candle. Good. That's the thing, though. Like, the, you can smell sweet and delicious, but if I'm about to drink the thing that I'm smelling, I don't want it to be quite as pungent. I think the good balance is like a nice showy kind of bravado. Like, look how good I smell and big, and you'll notice me. Uh, and then it tastes very well balanced. Are we talking about you or beer? Me? Why? No, okay. beer. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I uh, smell powerful yeah. and huge. No, but I, I think this is very well balanced. I'm very pleased with this. We haven't really touched on uh, the alcohol content of this and how it's coming across, but it doesn't feel like 15.5 to me. But I'm also, you know, like you said, a little deep into the Four loco at this point. How is it for you? Medium. It, it fin- mm. it, it's got a robustness and a fullness of flavor with some heat on there that really, it it definitely doesn't drink like, like a 8 or 9% beer. Like this is, it. I wouldn't have guessed 15. That's really high. Yeah, but like 11 12. Yeah, I would have said in like the 12, maybe 13 range, or like 12, 5 was probably what I would have guessed. Um, so I think it, it drinks a lot smoother than its ABV would have you maybe believe. I really like the level of sweetness and the way all these ingredients play off each other. Mm. I think it's a very original beer. I think it's uh, a lot less sweet than some of the tiramisu beers that we've had recently, which could work to its favor. It just depends. I don't know. I don't think this is a better beer than the the Great Notion. You you say you do not? I do not. Oh, interesting. If you listen to last week, was it last week or was it on bonus content? I don't I know. Kind of it was against Great Notion. It was the one where we did the Great Notion beer. No, it was after because we had to we had to tweet about them and like talk to them about the sediment and the can. I think it was last week on episode one thirty six. Maybe I got real real bitter, pun intended, because I was drinking an, an IPA uh, on Great Notion. Um, so I, I don't really know. I don't. still haven't responded. No, and they won't. No. And that's fine. We're driving uh, to Portlandia. Yeah, again. It was a long trip for me. This is a long trip for anybody. Sure. It's, it's a long drive. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. So with, with that being said, I think this is better than Cake Party. Uh, so you like it better because it's not as sweet. And because I have a gripe with them. That's fair. For all eternity. You got that but, personal but vendetta. Yes. Yeah, which I think counts. It affects the way that you, you know, I know it's from them. Therefore, worse. Sure. Um, I think that I was trying to do some research on what exactly Madagascar vanilla bourbon is or bourbon vanilla beans. There have been vanilla beans that come from Madagascar. Right. And the bourbon thing. Soaked in bourbon. Yeah. I don't know that that's true. Um, I think there's such a thing as bourbon vanilla, which is different than vanilla. Um, And again, I was trying to like look it up while you were talking and I don't fully understand it, but I don't think that it has to do with aging in bourbon barrels. Hmm. Um, So the name is confusing. And I was going to say. I feel like the bourbony aspect of this um, does sort of add something on that back end that gives it, uh, you know, extra heat. Yeah. And and maybe it does. There's all sorts of stuff on the internet here. There's literally a website we're reading off of now called vanillaqueen.com, 
which actually seems reputable to me. So I'm going to click on that. Uh, yeah. And maybe we can settle this. Let's see. Frequently asked questions about vanilla. Sometimes we don't like to dwell on stuff um, that makes us seem like we don't know stuff, like we're reading off the internet. But I think this is an important question to find an answer to. Yeah. We do that stuff when we're not recording. So you guys don't know how not exactly. smart we are. Uh, um, this is all nonsense. Um, uh, yeah. this uh, The question we were looking to answer was, uh, is there um, alcohol in bourbon vanilla? Because like that's a weird thing. Like I I'm not clear on the 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 separation between regular just vanilla and bourbon vanilla. Like I would think you'd have to add bourbon to it. Right. So I guess what I'm seeing here, Johnny. Yep. Would you please? The question is: Bourbon vanilla made from bourbon, which is exactly the question that we are posing. Right. right. The answer, according to VanillaQueen.com, is in fact no. Vanilla contains at least 35 percent alcohol. That's by itself. Yeah. But it's sugarcane or ethyl alcohol, not famous whiskey from Kentucky. Right. Uh, the name bourbon, pronounced bourbon, bourbon, comes from the period when the island of Reunion was ruled by the Bourbon kings of France. Bourbon now means vanilla planifolia beans from the regions other than Mexico. Okay, so if you don't know this like I didn't moments ago, uh, most of the vanilla in the world is from Madagascar. Yes. Um, so it's my interpretation now that the, saying Madagascar bourbon vanilla is basically being like, this is the legit vanilla that you want to put in. It's not vanilla extract. It's not like artificial vanilla. This is vanilla as vanilla gets. It's legit AF. So let's strike bourbon from the record. Uh, let's strike uh, Madagascar kind of from the record in terms of flavor palettes. This is just vanilla. Agreed? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, then, forget what I said about the bourbon, but there is a lot of alcohol in this mm-hmm. from something. Probably just from beer. Matt would be my guess. Yeah. Also, uh, wasn't it aged in bourbon barrels? Uh, I don't know that. We didn't actually read the can. Uh, I just read what they had on the website. No. Is there anything on there? This isn't barrel aged. It's just huge. Just a big beer. It's just a big old beer. Yeah. um, So like we said, thanks again, Miyagi. Um, This was donated. So I don't actually know um, a whole lot about the brewing process here. Um, I assume it's a limited release from them. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I'd love to know more. You want to rate it? Yeah, man. Okay, after you. You know, it's real good. It's not as sweet as I want it to be, but I like that for for certain reasons, you know, if you're not in the mood for something super sweet. But this being advertised as a dessert stout, I expected a lot more of like a, a sugary sweetness to it. Yeah. So that's kind of a letdown. I'm going to give it like an 8-2. Okay. It's still really good. It's a good score, but it's... um. If it had a bit more sweetness to round it out, it would have rated a bit higher for me. Okay. Um, so I will say, immediately thinking, this beer is fire. Racking my brain, though, I will say it's not the greatest version of of a dessert stout, right? Um, I'm a big believer that like, if you're saying, we're a dessert stout, like it needs to be sweet. It needs to taste exactly like the dessert that you're claiming it is. Exactly. Um, but it is really good. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how much this costs, which kind of also factors. Like, if this is a $15 can, I'm like, no. Probably not, not really. You have to judge it on the fact that it's just here. You have to judge it because it's beer. I don't think so. No cost involved. Okay, fine. If So if this is given to you for free, yeah. I think this is great. It's it's an 8-5 for me. Um, But personally, I wouldn't pay more than $9 for this can. It was probably a $20 four-pack. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, great buy. 
I mean, the high end stouts like this, I would say twenty twenty four dollar four pack. Right, somewhere in that, that range. Right. Probably we should, we should find out. I guess good to know. know. Yeah, so that's eight five from Young Maxwell, mm-hmm. and then eight two from me. Shall we move along? Yeah. Put this to bed. Thanks Goodbye, again. infinite suffering. Goodbye, Sorry. infinite, yeah. infinite suffering. Uh, thanks again, Miyagi. You're a real pal and yeah. a swell guy. Yeah. Flick picks. Flick of the picks. You've teased this for a while. You've been going through a list of movies. Yes. Um, now, Taxi Drive. At one point, you said, I'm going to go from the bottom to the number one. Yes. You did not do that. No. Okay. This I, is the number like. I struck pretty high. Okay. Six, eight. Yeah, it's up there. It's like top 10. Okay. What is your movie? Uh, so the movie I watched this week is Taxi Driver. The 1970 Martin Scorsese flick. You starring, better fix that date right away. What did I say? 70. I said 1976. No, you did not. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I did, but whatever. What is it for the record? 1972. No. No. 1976, <laughs> the year of our bicentennial. Sure. Right? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, they, yeah, that they, would be bicentennial. They yeah. put out special quarters for that year. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Martin Scorsese, young, 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 young Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. We've got Jodie Foster in this. We've got uh, Harvey Keitel. We have got a ton of people. Uh, Jodie Foster was like real young. Um, she actually played like a 12 and a half year old prostitute. Wow. That's all sorts of problematic. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah. There's a lot of things in this movie that they couldn't have done today. Well, they could have, but just everyone would have been it's all. It's a different culture. It's a different time. Everybody would have been all angry. Uh, may I read the letterbox synopsis, please? Do it. A mentally unstable Vietnam War veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence and sleaze feeds his urge for violent action, attempting to save a pre-adolescent, presumably Jodie Foster, prostitute in the process okay so i haven't seen this either yeah i assume a lot of people listening have not um tell me about your experience where you watched it what your uh initial sort of response to it was Mm -hmm. uh, performances that stuck out that sort of thing yeah i watched it at home in my viewing room which you've seen Mm -hmm. which is very nice i cranked up the the sound bar and the subwoofer had myself a good old time watching it got to sit down and focus on it um overall Really interesting movie, definitely a slice of a time period mm-hmm. uh, that really kind of captures the gritty, shady feel of bad parts of New York in the mid-70s mm-hmm. uh, through the eyes of a, a cab driver, which is someone that's going to be involved in pretty much, you know, you're a graveyard cab driver in New York. You're going to you, see some stuff. You're going to see some stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really, really interesting character that was played by Robert De Niro. He stands out so head and shoulders in this movie like you can tell this is why this film is kind of why he became as big as he Mm. did you know what i mean Mm -hmm. this is one of his early films that really launched him into the the spotlight of of hollywood a-list right uh and so many lines from this movie that like you don't like um you always hear that are you talking to me oh yeah are you you talking talking to me me? that's from this movie movie? yeah didn't know that till i saw it and i was like oh shoot that's where this comes from. And he plays from uh, ex-military. He was a right. Marine. In Vietnam. In Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's a cab driver. And just kind of his life experience after that and just going through the day-to-day grind of being a taxi driver sure. and how it really just chips away at the the fragile mental health that he's maintaining. Um, you just see him just start to degrade and kind of just start twitching 
a little, you oh, know, sure, like I bet. as a character. Uh, and it was uh, a very, very good movie. I was super impressed. Yeah. I mean, so like Martin Scorsese, if you've seen like the movie that comes to mind for him um, in my brain is um, The Departed. Mm-hmm. Right. Why does that sound weird? That is Martin Scorsese. I think so. Yeah. Um, very visceral movie. Like lots of intertwining um, character stuff. Lots of gruesome moments. Um, and I wonder, because like, The Departed takes place in, I think, the 90s or early 2000s maybe. Um, and I'm wondering how he handled, as a much greener director, kind of the subject matter of what a post-Vietnam War veteran might be going through. Yeah. And if that plays a huge role in sort of um, the development of that character in general. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it did. Uh, he didn't dwell a lot on like the, any like PTSD or um, like, you know, his experience focused, hyper-focused as ex-military. Um, that was definitely not the centerpiece of this character arc, which I kind of appreciated because that's been really kind of overdone in cinema you know like it wasn't about that it was about this character is like where he's at in his life right now uh and what happens to his mental state over this time period of like from the when the movie starts to when the movie ends how long is it roughly it's about a two-hour movie uh sorry in his um sort of like i would say this takes place over maybe a year okay that's good to know somewhere in that range maybe less could be within a matter of six months oh okay so but it's not like like one crazy night. No, no, right. no. No, it's night after night of driving a cab. You kind of get that feeling as well of just a grind. Right. Uh, and I can't remember the dude's name, but he played um, every, and everybody loved Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. He played, I think his dad or his father-in-law, like the old cranky, super bald guy, Peter Boyle. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, he yeah, was a fellow cab driver. Oh, is that right? This. Yeah. He played a guy named Wizard. Um, so, I mean, at this point, Robert De Niro, in, in 2019, I mean, and uh, and Peter Boyle are very much older than they were in 76. Yes. That is how time works. Mm-hmm. Um, what was his role, besides being a cab driver, like how, how was he related to Robert De Niro? Um, they all kind of hung out in diners Got and kind of just shot the breeze about their nights and told stories and um, just... It was like their little sub community, mm-hmm. you know, like middle of the night, 3 a.m., drinking right. coffee in diners and... Um, uh, his character was like the wizard guy. His character was right. kind of just the older guy that had been doing it for like 20 years and was kind of uh, the wisdom of the group and he gave advice. So overall, very, very good movie. I can see why it's on the list. Oh, sure. It actually is, what, 52 yeah, on the 52. list? Um, yeah, well worth the watch. And I could see immediately why it was a uh, an American classic. Sure. It's a really refreshing movie after watching... Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I was we were talking a bit off air about how we're both getting kind of fired back up about movies and yeah. like really just hitting a good stride of uh, c- consumption of movies. Yeah, right. You know, all it takes is like consuming a few bad movies where you're like, I don't enough. I don't want to watch another movie. Yeah. I'm going to watch a whole season of MasterChef right. like from like 5 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Uh, but movies like this, watching Taxi Driver uh, and getting back into this list of 100 Greatest really is a great reminder of why I do this podcast and why I want to go through these movies and do them. So I really liked it. I would give it probably like a 9-2 nice, out dude. of 10. Yeah. Um, it's a must watch, Yeah, especially if you're a Robert De Niro fan. Or a Scorsese fan, which, which I am. Which, how are you not? Yeah. yeah he's yeah, done yeah. almost every awesome movie 
that you yeah, love. If you're not you know at least I mean? one of those things, fans, if you're not a fan of one of those people, yeah, I think you're missing something. You, well, yeah, I mean, you look at Scorsese. I mean, he like from Gangs of New York to The Aviator to Shutter Island to The Departed to I mean, just everything, dude. He's and I'm not even fraction of the list. No, no, you know, yeah, you know, he's Goodfellas, Casino. Yeah. Like so many amazing movies. He's got a brand new one coming out. It's going to be a Netflix exclusive. Yeah, what is that? I, with I like that De Niro too. and Ray Romano. It's called The Irishman. Yeah. yeah it'll yeah. be good. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, he did Wolf of Wall Street too. Did you say that? Yeah, the newer one. Yeah. Wait, is there an old one? Yes, there was one from really? the 80s with Michael Douglas. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that he, was a, you didn't know Wolf of Wall Street was a remake. No, yeah, no, no one told me. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, yeah. the old one was really good. Michael Douglas, very okay. good in that movie. Yeah, uh, was he better in that or Ant Man? It, it was Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, just doing a bunch of coke. Yep, that sounds right. And they were like, "Charlie, are you sure you want to do real coke?" He's like, "This, trust me, it's fine. This I is better. For I have tiger blood." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, cool, man. So you have to watch it now. Yeah, I super will. What's um, your flick pick this week? Well, so um, back on episode 116, I discussed for my flick pick of the week, the film Zodiac, directed by David Fincher. I'd never seen it, um, and it had been on my list for a long time. Mark Ruffalo's in it, Robert Downey Jr., uh, a little bit of a tie-in to the Avengers film franchise. Yeah. Um, but it's like a neo-noir crime drama about the Zodiac killer Killings in California in whenever that was. Yeah. Now. Go he listen to that episode if you want. Yeah. What episode was that? 116. Cool. Um, so the other sort of really famous David Fincher neo-noir is Seven. Came out in 1995. It stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, others. I won't say too much more if you haven't seen it. But basically a killer decides to uh, kill people based on the seven deadly sins and then Brad Pitt's character as his first day as a rookie detective in this unnamed city where crime is abundant and it's raining all the time. And it's the perfect set piece for a neo-noir film um, is uh, sort of the rookie cop underneath Morgan Freeman's senior detective. Is there anything more neo-noir than a detective in a raincoat no, in the rain? It's not. Just which like is, smoking a cigarette which, and standing yeah. over a crime scene? You know, actually, when you say that, I don't think either of the two mains ever... Mm, Brad Pitt might have. I think Brad Pitt was a smoker in this movie. He was not a smoker. No? No. Watched it yesterday and today. It's a long movie. It's like 2.40, I think. Oh, is it that long? It's a long movie, wow. yeah. Um, but it's one of the few movies that is that long that I'm like, it could have been longer. Right. I'm into this. Like it's a masterclass in, in neo-noir. Every shot is beautifully lit. Um, it's purposeful. It's patient. There's one scene in which, um, Brad Pitt is crossing the street again, like very like think Chicago uh, or New York, but like crimey or like more Gothamy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a car, a taxi, oddly enough, driving like 25 feet away. And you see him like starting to stop the taxi with his hand. Um, but because it's raining so hard, the taxi barely gets away without hitting him. What a great touch. Like you would, cause the rain's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just imposing it on every thing, um, with fake rain or whatever they did in 95. Um, probably water, probably real water. There was a, I wish I could think of it now, but there's a movie where all of the rain is CG. I wonder if it's Zodiac. I don't remember, but there's, there's one movie that kind of like broke, broke the CGI boundary with fake rain. Oh, it looks what? so real. Um, man, I wish I could think Was of it that. Hard Rain with Christian Slater? No, it wasn't. Uh, but maybe. I don't know. Maybe that too. Um, so anyways, I hadn't seen this movie since I was uh, 
maybe like 17. Okay. And and even then, I don't think I watched it from start to finish. Yeah. And you're so young, you're not going to actually appreciate. Rex, like, what are you looking for exactly? Um, and I was saying to you, Johnny, before we started recording, like, I hadn't watched it certainly since we started this podcast. Yeah. And just the amount of appreciation I had for for David Fincher's patience, um, the cinematography, um, even the performances, it, it was so, so much higher than it ever could have been. It's a fantastic movie. It really is. It's available on Hulu, which is where I kind of stumbled upon it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is cool. I'll just put this on. Let's see what happens. And I was locked in. And you're like, surprise. It's so good. Um, it's rated R. There's some very, very gruesome stuff. It's a pretty hard R. It's, a, it's Yeah, it's like one of the most, um, and not all of it is shown on screen, but suggested. No. At, there's, there's a particular scene where there is a, a guy giving a confession to Brad Pitt's character about what he was forced to do to a prostitute with sort of like a strap-on sexual apparatus with a knife on the end of it. Um, and you just see a picture of that thing, and you see this guy's reaction to what he was forced to do at gunpoint. And it's like, oh, it's just so cringy. And, oh, it's horrible. And it, it I don't know, man. It's bad. Yeah. But what this movie does better than nearly any other movie I can think of is suck you in to that world. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Like, the, the time that David Fincher spent building the set pieces and just everything about him. There's, there's one point where you, uh, not spoiling. I really don't want to spoil this movie. If you haven't seen it, so I won't, but they find a, a journal from the killer and it's all written out. There's like pages and pages and they flip through them and somebody made that. Mm-hmm. Somebody wrote it out. and was like, this is going to be a prop we need. And it's shown for maybe five seconds. And there's that attention to detail in this movie yeah. that sets it head and shoulders apart yeah. most films. And I recall one scene with about 500 um, air fresheners, yep. the little pine tree air fresheners. Yep. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a twist in that scene. Do you know yep. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Scared me to death. Right. Uh, pun intended, I guess. Yep. But man, it's like the use of suspense and of lighting and of and even the dialogue. There's... Um, I'm just going to pretend like somebody listening hasn't seen it. There is a bad guy in this movie who only gets about 25 minutes of screen time, but the dialogue that is written for him in those 25 minutes, you were completely invested in that character. There's a party that's like, these are good points he's making. <laughs> and he's, ugh, he's so compelling as a villain. Yeah. Uh, for it, a lot of reasons. It's really well put together movie. It's I'm, fantastic. I'm happy you revisited it. Yeah. Revisited it. Yep. It makes me want to rewatch it. Do myself. it. It's I'm going so to. good. Um, and I'm not like a huge fan of sort of gritty um, crime thrillers. Yeah, this seemed, and this was borderline horror too. You know what I mean? I there didn't, are moments I didn't think that this would be a movie that was up your alley. But oh, really? I'm, well, just con- sure. content-wise, mm-hmm. like it's kind of scary, and you don't like scary movies, so yeah. I, I would I would argue that outside of that air freshener scene, there's not a whole lot of like jumpy scares. No, but which I'm fine with being scared with with feeling scared. I don't like being scared. Yeah, that's fair. So you you don't like jump scares. You'd rather have a suspense filled scene than sure. a jump scare. Absolutely. Yeah. Hundred hundred percent of the time. Fair enough. Well, that is seven from Young Maxwell. Also, Taxi Driver from you. That's right. A couple of classics that we talked about this week. If you haven't seen both of those movies, I would say go watch them. They're available. Uh, mine's on Netflix. Taxi Driver. You can just. Sit down, push mm-hmm. one button on your remote, and watch it. Uh, and Hulu, I believe. For yeah, you. Hulu for seven. I would say though, I, I do re- regret not watching it in one shot. Yeah, because I, I feel like it is, like I said, the attention to detail and, yeah. and sort of like the immersiveness you can get from that movie. Well, and watch one, it in one. One thing I remember about that film too is that it 
really immerses you in personal relationships. Dude, oh, it's the whole thing. Yeah. We could talk about that forever, but like um, they're basically two opposite characters, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Like mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman is 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 beaten down. He's been in this city being this cop for so long. Too old for this. Yeah, like he doesn't believe in Reeves. people anymore. Um, I think the, the movie ends with, I want to say it's Ernest Hemingway. It's a quote and it's Morgan Freeman saying it. Ernest, Ernest Hemingway once said, um, the world is a, I think, he, I think it's not good, but it's like that. Uh, the world is a good place and it's worth fighting for. And I agree with the last part. It's like this perfect little nihilistic bow he ties. He's like, I don't believe in any of this shit, but sorry, <laughs> but uh, it's worth defending kind mm-hmm. of. And then Brad Pitt's like this young Dude, it's like I'm gonna be the detective. I'm moving to the the Brash. big city, and I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna fix the problems. Um, so the whole movie is kind of about that. It's like their interplay as the two of them, and it's so it's so good. Yep, yep. I yeah. It's a beautifully put together movie. If if this were a different podcast, we'd do a whole episode on that movie. But it is not. There's probably that podcast out there, so go find it. But also listen to ours, or just talk to us about it, or talk to us. Yeah, yeah. Either way is good. In the meantime. Let's take an old breakity break before we get into our featured movie of the week that 50% of this podcast <laughs> duo saw. Sure. That's right. I'm talking about scary stories to tell in the dark. Stick around. We'll be covering that in our second section with no spoilers. We'll be right back. If you need a break from scary stories, maybe you need to get out of the dark. You're in luck. There's a place called The Handlebar. There's no scary stories, and it's well lit. Yeah, and they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. where you get a dollar off all of their draft beer. Again, it's a local Chico restaurant and bar called The Handlebar with an amazing happy hour. You really should go check it out, everybody. That's right. Right here in Chico. They're a great local business, and they support us. You should support them. Handlebar Chico. Go check them out. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. And that right there is a super, super ultra spooky trailer for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That just came out like a couple days ago. It was directed by Andre Overdahl. Yeah, Overdahl. We've talked about him before. Yeah, we We'll have. talk about that in a minute. Yep. Uh, screenplay by Guillermo del Toro, Kevin Hageman, and Dan Hageman. Uh, the shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large in the small town of Mill Valley for generations. It's in a mansion that young Sarah Bellows turns her tortured life and horrible secrets into a series of scary stories. These terrifying tales soon have a way of becoming all too real for a group of unsuspecting teens who stumble upon Sarah's spooky home. And she would have gotten away with it, too. Sure, for those darn kids. Exactly. Uh, this came out August 9th, and opening weekend it made uh, $20 million 
uh, well, twenty point nine million actually, uh, on a budget of twenty five million, doing so, really well for itself. Yep, it it's was a, second this last weekend. Yeah, uh, right behind Hobbs and Shaw. Yep, which doesn't make sense, but we'll go with it because this is America. Uh, if you didn't know this already, it's a horror movie. It's rated PG thirteen. It's based on a series of books uh, written by Alvin Schwartz with uh, artwork that we might talk about later that affected many of us in our late twenties and thirties, uh, early thirties, late twenties, um, as children and left. Images burned upon our subconscious minds. Mm-hmm. Um, there were something like, uh, doing some quick math in my head, like 70 of these stories, uh, maybe a little bit more actually, 75 to 80 of these stories in these three books. Um, and they've never before been turned into a movie. This is not a remake. It's a relatively original script, as original as a remake can be based on books. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, well, our different experiences with the subject matter. As Johnny said in the beginning, I haven't seen this. I didn't have a chance. So I'm drinking a four loco instead. So this will be very much me asking questions and us maybe having something of a constructive dialogue about horror movies in general. Yes. Um, what I know about the production of this um, and how it worked overall. Um, like I said, we've talked about Andre Overdahl, the director of this before. He did Troll Hunter 2010. He also directed the film The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Which if you're a regular listener, you know, well, that was one of my flick picks. Within the last month. Mm-hmm. It was episode 134. Johnny talked about that as his flick pick. Um, so go check it out. You were a fan of that movie. Oh, yeah. For the most part. Oh, big fan. And we had. I think you had a couple gripes, but yes. for the most part. Yeah, like you're saying, pretty good. Overall, two thumbs. Oh, sure. way up. Johnny, who is in this movie? In this movie, there's really four main characters. Their names are uh, Stella Nichols, played by Zoe Margaret Coletti. The character called Ramon, played by Michael Garza. Augie, played by Gabriel Rush. And Roy, played by Dean Norris. Love it. And there's uh, a bunch of supporting cast, but those are the core four kids that we're following around. Sure. Um, so different than the books here. The books are, like I said, totally different uh, separate stories that are not necessarily connected. I think there's a couple that kind of intertwine yeah, a lot, like Stephen King stuff. For the most part, they're fairly standalone individual stories. Right. So for people that haven't seen this, like myself, um, this movie is not the same. Right. How is this structured? Yeah, so they're, you know, all the things that happen are loosely based on stories in that book, but the situation is that on Halloween these these four kids go and explore this haunted house, find a book, one thing leads to another, scary things start happening. This book starts having stories written in it by itself. It's just they're looking at the page and stories just start getting written in blood right, on the sure. page. In blood, of course. Super creepy. Children's blood, if yep. you're going by the movie. Cool. It's real, real good times. And uh, the the main character here, Stella, mm-hmm. she's kind of the bookworm horror nerd, um, like aspiring horror writer, super cool little chick. Um, she notices like that the stories are getting written and that the group of four friends names start appearing in the stories sure and what unfolds is some crazy stuff right starts happening to these kids so they're all kind of independent stories but they're they're related because they're happening to this group of friends that stumbled across this book in a very like final destination-y kind of way where like all of their destinies are now intertwined because of this book which is kind of um, a, I wouldn't say it's a trope, but it's a trick, a, a business model, if you will, of horror cinema that, you know, uh, an artifact is found, a book is found, something is stumbled upon that ties the fates of four young teens together forever. So they right. definitely played into the like 80s, 90s noir 
of horror in that regard, but I, um, I don't think it was in a bad way. Right. So that's what I was going to ask. I mean, so I've watched the trailer. That's about the extent of what I know about the actual film. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've I've heard some interviews with filmmakers and stuff. Yeah. So this movie takes place in 1968, Mm -hmm. which is maybe the one thing that I noticed that set it apart from like a stranger things type vibe or like even a Goonies type situation where it's a group of kids, um, in the trailer, he's riding bikes mm-hmm. in small town America. Yeah. Discovering spooky things. When you think about it. Oh, it's know, a great example. The yeah, newest remake of it that down. was very inspired by Stranger Things, right. Goonies, yeah. all of those Yeah, movies. this kind of like this, this um, camaraderie. Lost Boys. What is different, um, and this is the tricky part about talking about this movie, because the books have been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us have read them, They're, and I think it's okay to say this, that they don't always end happily for the people in them. No, they're scary stories. Right. And they like I remember only parts of this. The only I asked you when, before we started recording if any of these stories stuck out to you from the books, um, but the one that did for me was the spider egg thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I won't say more than that for now, but if you know anything about that particular story, I think it's called The Red Spot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go good. No, and that's actually in this movie. Right. That's what I thought. Yep. Um, so that's kind of the main differentiation I notice um, between a movie like this and a movie like uh, the new It or Stranger Things, the show. Like most of the time, those are kids that are going to be fine. Yeah. And I wonder how that relationship bet- from the audience to the movie, knowing that not everybody in this movie is safe necessarily, how that affects your viewing experience versus something like It where you're like, yeah, they're going to probably be fine. Well, I mean, you want that in a horror movie. The number one most important thing in a lot of horror movies is stakes. Sure. Um, you know, it's always a question in every campy B horror movie of who's going to die first. Right. You know, you know, none of the characters are safe going in. And I feel like that element of danger adds to the suspense and, um, the gripping effect that the movie has on a viewing audience. Yeah. Um, which is another thing, like we've talked about the effectiveness of the, um, the movies that fall under like a PG 13 or an R rating system it was r i think uh stranger things is uh tv pg i think pg maybe no it's not no. is it it might be 14 i don't know I, it's probably 14 i would double check that i don't think this was rated r no no no. this was pg-13 yes um sorry i meant it oh. the movie it was rated r okay uh, this itself was uh pg-13 yes um and again like 70 to 80 stories originally they probably could have gone a really dark mature way here but the books themselves were geared at Teens, at, children. children, which is so messed up. Children. We can dive into the psychology of that if we want, but um, hey, I turned out fine. Sure, and I, I, I know, <laughs> debatable. You, I know you, so I think I know what your answer is going to be. But for people that don't, and I'd like you to make a case defending what you're about to say. But would this movie have been better rated R, or do you think it's good the way it was? I think personally, I would like to see it rated R, but that's purely personal preference. I think it accomplished what it needed to do in a PG-13 uh, playground. Mm. You know, then the sandbox that it's working in, in a PG-13 movie, I think it pulled off the suspense, the scariness, the jump scares pretty well. Uh, and I think it portrayed the stakes of life or death situations pretty well. Um, so, you know, would it have been scarier in a rated R? No, but it would have been gorier and more violent and more bloody. Um, they... You know, in a PG-13 movie, you're not relying on those. You don't have that to fall back on. Right. It's kind of a fail-safe in a horror movie. Like, if you have weak writing, you can just 
add some more gore right. and some tits. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a really easy thing to band-aid a terrible movie with. So in a PG-13 movie, you actually have to rely on better writing and genuine suspense and cinematography and overall better filmmaking. So it'd be more challenging to make a really good horror movie in a PG-13 sandbox than an R-rated sandbox. Right, which is uh, sort of a nice segue to my next question. Do you think this movie... Um like, do you think that the filmmakers would have been up to the task of making, do you think that the content of this movie would have still been good enough if they could have fallen back on those crutches? Yes. I think they could have uh, enhanced a lot of the scenarios with uh, more violence, more gore. Uh, they, it, it would have been like ultra violent. You know yeah, what I sure. mean? As it was, this movie was, it was pretty violent. Like for a PG 13 movie, mm. there was uh it was stylized in a way that didn't come across as pure gore, but right. there was definitely high stakes violence and and some life or death drama. So I think it would have held up. It would have just probably been a lot different, a lot more um, aggressive. Movie. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's safe to say that this is a, you could easily make a case of this being called a monster movie. Um, and we've talked in the past, whether it be Pan's Labyrinth or Shape of Water, um, Guillermo del Toro's, who is a, who is a screenplay writer, who's a producer, um, his demand essentially for using practical effects for people in suits rather than CGI. Um, so I kind of want to know if you can talk about it without spoiling uh, too much. Like if there were monsters, quote unquote, that stood out to you, how the, how the effects actually were in this. Yeah. In the realm of horror, this would actually be called a creature. Sure. Creature, sure. creature feature. Yep. That came out long time ago. Um, and yeah, as far as the creatures in this movie go, there were one, two, three, four, Three main ones and then a bunch of other little ones mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things that come around. Um, there's some really interesting character work. There was two that stand out to me. Creature-wise? Creature-wise. There were two creatures that were... They show a few in the trailers. Very I, scary. And I think you can say what they are and why they were scary without spoiling stuff. Um, one, No. The only one yeah. for sure that was in the trailer was Harold the Scarecrow, mm-hmm. which... Why does the scarecrow need to have that scary of a face, dude? Well, I mean, it makes like, sense. That, yeah, I'm gonna write a note. It was real yes. scary. Like it, uh, just sitting there was very, very creepy. Uh, and the way that um, I, not really a spoiler. You can tell from the trailer that that scarecrow comes to life, sure, and yeah. uh, pursues someone. Um, but what they don't show in the trailer is the circumstance that surrounds that character being pursued. He is in fact uh, a bully. Right. It's so, sort of towards the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of the way a lot of the stories in the books went. They were almost uh, parabolic in mm. their, their storytelling, like someone kind of getting what they deserve or someone being tormented for a, a reason that makes sense right. in like a weird way. Le- can we, and I'm actually spitballing, we can edit. I know you don't like editing, but whatever. There's a trailer that I've seen where a character hits that scarecrow with a baseball bat. Yes. And that was pretty readily available. And I have to assume that that is the tie-in. That kid gets what he deserves, quote-unquote, because of the way he treated that scarecrow. It was not about him with the scarecrow. It was about him treating the other characters in the movie. He's actually a a very big tormentor of our four main characters. Gotcha. Um, So that ties in with that. But also they kind of go into his backstory that Harold, uh, the scarecrow, lives on the farm that he lives on. Uh, okay. And he's he's pretty much just hated that thing his whole life. It's and probably scared him his sure. whole life. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole whole lot of um, probably underwriting here where you're like, yeah, well, you were scared of stuff because we're angry. Yeah. Or vice versa. We're exactly. angry because it scared us. Yeah. Uh, 
Beauty and the Beast reference, probably. Yeah, we don't, you're, like, you're, we don't understand because it scares us. Exactly. Or you're angry at this thing because it scares you. Uh, that was Tommy, right? Yes. Austin Abrams is the actor that plays Tommy. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot here to like, I mean, you're talking about kind of the, the bigger meaning of stuff here. Like, clearly, I mean, it's a movie about the way that it ties together is about a book that sort of writes itself, basically, yeah. and kind of kills you in the process or or haunts you or whatever yeah but there's there's a moral to the story and there's a really interesting um story behind all of it and um not being spoilery at all sure. but there's it's you know they find a book it's writing stories about them it's trying to kill them they have to figure out why it's a quest driven movie the quest is to figure out what's going on with this book and how to stop it sure so in that process you come across some interesting moral dilemmas there's, they touch on racism, on draft dodging, on all kinds of interesting topics and uh, bullying, um, right? You know, friendship, all kinds of interesting things. Um, and they, you know, meander their way through this quest in in kind of a weird, wonky yeah. way. You know, I don't want to give away too much about the story. That's for the danger zone. But yeah, so that's the whole idea of the movie. And I personally think it was pretty well executed. Uh, I didn't love it. But I really liked it. Yeah. I think it was pretty engaging. Uh, it had good writing. The only gripe I really have is that the jump scares were super predictable. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I would have liked to, although one of, like, there was two of them that actually got me. Yeah. That, like, I jumped Didn't in the theater. Coming at no. All. I yeah. jumped in the theater. Those are great. That's, that's a, hard. When they're good jump scares. When they get me. Yeah. Like, I'm a horror nerd. Sure. And if you actually accomplish scaring me yeah. or, like, there was several times in this movie when I felt my heartbeat rising. Mm -hmm. Those are why I That's go to great. see scary movies. That right there, that feeling of tension, yeah. of like the palpable just fear in the air. And the whole, I was in a very crowded theater, whole, mm -hmm. whole theater, quiet, you, like, I mean, yeah, on you, held breath. You see it on Sunday? Uh, yes. Of opening weekend? Yep. Yeah, okay. Very crowded. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And like these, these scary moments where like your heart's pounding and you hear nothing in the theater and it just adds to the overall aggressive tension yeah. in your body. And it's, it's perfect. Like those feelings are why I started watching horror movies and why I love seeing them in crowded theaters and hearing the girls scream and the popcorn fly. Like there was those moments where like, Oh, you hear the tough guys on a date. Yelp. That's the best. That's the best. That's yeah. why horror movies are amazing. So yeah, I didn't love it, but I really, really liked it. I think it's going to do well in the box office. I think it was a success. I think uh, there's enough hands in this movie that know what they're doing and that write suspense and horror. Uh, like the dude that did the the autopsy of Jane Doe. What's his name? I can't pronounce his name. Oh, the director, Andre Overdahl. 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 Why is that so hard? Because it's like, a, it's, I don't know. Look at the O. It's just a you know weird. How long it took me to figure out how to write that O with a keyboard. Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> O. It's like an O with the slash mark. Yeah, it's, it's on like, Google Docs. It's very hard. It's a Noverdal because it reminds me of just no. Yep. Yep. But, but yeah, anyways, yeah. he he directs very well. Mm. Like if you watch Autopsy of Jane Doe, it's got such a palpable sense of fear. And the the one thing that stands out with this movie that really calls back to the autopsy of Jane Doe is his use of lighting and darkness as a factor on screen. Right. Uh, I really, really liked it. Well, what I noticed was like a lot of these quote unquote monsters or creatures or whatever you'll say, um, are very pale. They're like white ish. Yeah. Um, which makes them stand out in a really eerie way against this really dark backdrop. Yes. Um, which it's is very effective at being creepy. Effective. And I believe intentional. Oh, of course. Just the, the, the implied contrast is, 
Yeah, it's literally night and day. I mean, it's hard to ignore. Like, if you're talking about a movie called The Autopsy, there's dead bodies, which are often pale mm-hmm. because of lack of blood. Like, the the sensibility of a director like Overdahl with that kind of catalog, plus uh, Del Toro being like, I like to use practical effects, can form very convincing uh, corpses or scarecrows or ghosts or whatever it might be. Um, you mentioned there were two prominent ones, and you said you can talk about both or just one without Just spoilers. the one. Okay. Um. Fair enough. I wanted to say that I guess maybe one more question. I might have one more, but like the, the idea of tying these in as one sort of fluid narrative. Um, we talk about the self-writing book essentially. And I wanted to mention that Del Toro had said that he had the idea for this book um, during Pan's Labyrinth back in the day, like one of his first sort of big prominent movies. And he had the idea that like a book could, I think it's even in one of the trailers, like the, you don't read the book, dun, 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 the book reads you. Um, which is a dumb line, but it works. I'm sure. Um, did it work for tying this all together? Did you feel like it was getting across whatever message it was trying to do with that sort of archetype? Yes. Because that in itself added a layer of suspense that was unique to this film because the book wrote a story about a person every night. So they had like a 24 hour cycle to wait. Sure. So you had the suspense of like, Nightfall's coming, the book's going to start writing. We don't know about who and what's going to happen. You know, kind of this like this unknown factor Mm. that's looming in this 24 hour cycle added a huge layer of suspense. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Um, So, I guess final couple questions here. Should people go see this in the theaters? Yes. I think this would be a great movie to see in the theater. Mm -hmm. I think if you've got adolescent children that are interested in this movie, um, I fully endorse taking not children okay but, but kids of a, a responsible mental age sure to see scary movies in the movie theater i think it's uh scary stories or scary movies in general scary movies yeah, in general sure. you know but this one i mean it's pg-13 i would say it's like a hard 13 12 13 probably no younger I right mean, unless you have a really mature 10 year old right um but yes it was a great experience in the theater just because of its use of darkness mm. uh and the the sensation that that creates seeing it in a giant dark room. Yeah. I think it really adds to the overall effect of this movie. Sure. Uh, again, pretty good transition because the books were geared somehow towards children. That's right. Um, and do you feel like this movie could be, like, if it comes out on DVD, it's at home, you have it with your 17 kids. I don't know your life. Whoa. Is it a movie night for like your kids between the ages of five and 12? Could, could they watch this and be okay with the family? Or is it like, no, don't show kids this movie. It would be scary for small children, mm-hmm. for sure. It's definitely like yeah. a teen movie. Okay. I wouldn't go, yeah, no, it's not a family movie. But are you the kind of person that would say the books are also for children or no? Well, no, that's the messed up thing. Like those right. books were given to like, I had got, what was it, like eight? For sure before 13. Like eight? Yeah. yeah. Nine? Yeah. yeah. I, ugh, I don't know. Um, You could. Should you? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd watch it first and then, I don't know, if you've got kids that are super into scary, excuse me, scary movies and like creepy stuff anyway. Yeah. They'll probably dig it because it was really cool. Like it was creepy and scary, but sure. like it wasn't something that would like give you nightmares, but I, th- I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I have pretty unrealistic <laughs> yeah, standards sure. for that, but like I wouldn't watch it with small children. I right. think it's PG 13 for a reason. Okay. Like it's, it's definitely a, I would say like 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that was my last question, but I have one more thing that oh, I always God. notice in horror movies, yeah. which is sound design. 
And when you have creatures, some of them are are skeletal looking, like the, the scarecrow is very much like missing his middle section. Um, what was the sound like? Really cool. Okay. Because really that's so important to a horror movie super, to pull you in. Super analog, like yeah. clicky, poppy. Oh, really? Like mechanical, mm-hmm. robot-y almost. But like imagine a robot made out of wood. Love it. Yeah. Okay. I, I just, I feel like there was like lots of like oozing, gushing sounds. Was there a lot of that? At times, yeah, yeah but good. yeah, and just the the sound of like wind running through a cornfield yeah. when you're walking through it alone. Have you ever been to a corn maze? Sure, yeah, that feeling. Of but just you're being like, chased. Yeah, I hate that. There's a really good corn maze out in Orland. We you, should you talked you talked about this last year. It's yeah, like you guys go there. For, yeah, we no. should take a podcast trip out there. Um, I'll buy you a four. Give logo. me another four local. Yeah, and I'll go. Uh, okay, good. Well, that's that's scary stories to tell in the dark, everybody. Yes, that, we're gonna rate it. We are. You are gonna. Well, rate I'm it. gonna rate it. You're gonna rate it based on how I've talked about it. I don't know that I am. Yeah, you have to. All right, we do it every time. You did it with the Lego Batman movie. Did you I? Rated it I high. Okay. You rated it oh, higher true. than I did. First one. Don't okay. question me. Shut You're up, the man. one that's drank a four loco. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked this movie a lot. I think it was very much worth seeing. I'm a huge supporter of Guillermo del Toro and the director Andre Overdahl. Mm-hmm. I have seen two of his films now. I really need to seek out Troll Hunter uh, because I love his overall style and aesthetic and his, his overall his overall style. style. Sure. Uh, I think he's a very gifted and unique horror suspense director. And in a day and age where movies have become a bit predictable and cliche, it's refreshing uh, to see this. Um, this and like Midsommar, they're both like opposite ends of the lighting spectrum. Sure. Yeah. But also I think, you know, content wise, one was a bit more visceral and heavy, but uh, two really original, refreshing suspenseful scary movies so far in the last couple months so i'm really pleased with the direction that horror is going right now and uh yeah highly advise seeing this movie in the theater uh it's gonna be uh i think an eight nine for me eight point nine eight point nine okay yeah i really really like this movie i'll be watching again on again on dvd probably i might try and see it again in the theater depends i don't know i don't have enough hours in the day yeah if i could i would oh that's that's I think just as important. If you could do it again, you would. Yep. It's almost as good as... Like, I wanted to see Midsommar when the pageant was running it. I just Oh, I forgot they did that. Yeah, I just did not have time to get over there just because yeah. there's not enough hours in the mm-hmm. day. But I will be buying that movie on Blu-ray when it comes sure. out. But yes, 8.9 for me for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. What did you think based on what I've told you? Well, so here's here's my problem. And it's not even a problem. It's just sort of my personality. It's not a movie that I would go see necessarily. This is a movie that if it, it came on at home... Uh, like it was on Netflix and I was watching Netflix at 11 a.m. when it's bright and sunny out <laughs> and I have a cup of coffee. I'd be like, okay, sure. I'll watch this. Mm-hmm. I'll have my dog next to me. I'll be making pancakes. If this movie happened to come on my TV at like 11 p.m., I'm out. So it sounds like it's well made, well enough made, I suppose. Um, I have a little bit of history with the subject matter. So I'm going to give it a flat five halfway there. All right. I'll get to watching it at some point. Um, and I'm sure I'll bring it up on the show when that happens. Ideally. But I'll go five for now. Right on. Well, that's 8.9 for me. It's a five for Max. That is scary stories to tell in the dark. We will be back after this break with our second and final beer and spoilers for this movie. Stick around. Danger zone. Danger zone. I was looking at the bottom one. I don't know why. It's not your job. Hey, Just man. trust me. We're recording. <laughs> 
You've had four loco. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making well, sure that we're gonna have vocal tracks recorded. That's a fair point. Remember that time the power just went out? We were like we were oh that bouncing was so... the session. There's like black, everything went out. Uh, I'm like, all right, well, I hope the session saved. Yeah, I pooped and a it, little. It did. Well, that must have been a nice relief for you. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Check out Patreon for bonus those content. Those were the days. About Johnny's bowels. I need some prunes, guys. Um, all right, so welcome to the Danger Zone, everybody. If you haven't been before, welcome. That was sort of a uh, sort of a um, weird uh, start to it, I guess. But if you haven't been here. Yeah. Um, so the Danger Zone is the part of the show where we drink our second and final beer. We talk about what's got us hot and bothered, and we spoil the movie, all within a framework of being okay with the idea of saying swear words, which I was thinking about the other day. And it's just, it seems so arbitrary to me. Like, why is this okay now? Versus earlier, it doesn't matter. It's not like people are again. You've said this before, so I'm not actually so many times for you to yell at me. But but like people aren't listening with their kids and be like, "All right, kids, mommy and daddy are gonna finish the show now. Go up to your room." Like nobody's tuning out the danger except for spoilers. But it's not because of swear words. Oh, kids, they're done talking about beer. Right? Yeah. Go to your rooms. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I don't know. It's important for those kids to get those tasting notes for me. The fifteen percent I stouts that we do for me. It's fun to like. challenge ourselves enough to use better vocabulary, I guess, is, was my thought in the beginning. How's that holding up? It's good for me. I enjoy well, it. Well, then why'd you bring it up? Well, I just wanted to mention it because we're talking about that's the difference here. Yeah. And we swear a little bit more. We spoil some stuff. Yeah. etc. I agree. It seems silly that it's okay now, but it's okay. That's true. It's fine. Listen, what is this beer? You brought it. There's nothing on the internet about it. I'm not even sure if it's a real beer. What is this? It might be fake. I don't know. It could be real. It could be assembled from parts of other beers from across the land, dug up through graveyards. Who knows? It's called Dankenstein's Monster. Dankenstein's Monster from Spike's Bottle Shop is where you got this, no? Yeah. Uh, by way of Mason Ale Works out of San Diego, which is... That's what's on the can? It says San Diego Oh, I'm County. so upset because... Man, so they have two. Basically, we did some research. Here. Well, no, okay. Yeah. Hold, hold back the fucking truck up. <laughs> the top of the can says San Diego County, California, but if you read the fine print, it says brewed in San Marcos, okay, San Diego County. Where is San? I guess it's in San Diego. Well, San Diego is a county. Yeah, okay. That clears that up then. But it's not in the city of San Diego. Right. Sure. Don't say it. I knew you were about to. It's a no, no. Um, okay. So this is a double IPA. It is a West Coast unfiltered IPA, which is sort of a, a walking, uh, a dead, an undead walking contradiction, because we've talked in the past about if it's West Coast, it's probably not unfiltered, because most of the time, unfiltered means hazy and juicy, and the opposite of a West Coast. So I am very intrigued by this beer. I want to know if it's going to be juicy, or if it's going to be hoppy, or if it's going to be both. What is an unfiltered West Coast IPA? What does that even mean? Well. A lot of times the the juice and the sweetness comes from additional dry hopping. So just because a beer is unfiltered doesn't necessarily mean that it is by default sweeter or juicier. So it could still maintain its hop characteristics. So let's see. The can doesn't tell us pretty much jack shit other than the hops are Cascade, Chinook, CTZ, Centennial, and Simcoe. And the tasting notes are hazy, dank, and bitter. Zero information. Yeah. I can confirm that's what the internet said. There's nothing on their website about can this. Confirm. Can confirm. Um, there was nothing really on untapped aside from what you said on that can. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I wish there was more out there. We were kind of griping about 
um, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble of making a beer and distributing it, like put something on your website. Like if you have a website, use it to tell people what this beer is about. Yeah, to be. we do. We're going to put some shit on our website about your beer. Absolutely. You should try that out. Um, Freshhopcinema.com. Mason Ale Works, looking at you. I do like the name. That should be established. Dankenstein's Monster. Very funny. Then the can's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. You got it because the can's dope. Black and green. There is a Frankenstein's Monster on the front. Have you seen, by the way, the original Frankenstein? Which one? I've seen all of them. Oh, really? Yeah. The uh, 1920-something? I have not. Yeah, that and then Bride of Frankenstein's really good. Sure. Yeah, that was a not super appreciated movie in its time either. Uh, Either. We were talking about stuff on the break. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was recommending uh, They Live. Yeah. 1988? Mm, I forgot. I think it was 88. Uh, John Carpenter. John Carpenter film. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite horror movies. Yeah. I I mean, John Carpenter is a director. He did The Thing. He did They Live. He did Halloween. Um, Escape from New York. Sure. Uh, Which is like super off-brand. Sure, with Kurt Russell. He's so awesome. Yeah, but it seems so random compared to the other ones. But I was saying The Thing is probably John Carpenter's most famous movie. And Johnny was like, no, probably Halloween. Uh, So if you're listening right now and you're like, I've only ever heard of The Thing, write in. But I guess if if you've only heard of the other ones, you can write in for Johnny, but I won't care as much because I want to be right. (laughs) That's fair. But Dankenstein's Monster. Johnny, thoughts after your first drink? Yeah, it pours... um, I wouldn't say hazy as much no. as clear with sediment. It's an orangey. Yeah, it's like but an orangey But if, you, if you look, that's all discolored by tiny flakes and flecks. I would have called that carbonation. But it's, Oh, you're right. Mine's said I just poured mine. Yeah, that's I think not carbonation. Right. That's um, it's a little galaxy in there. It's a little sludgy. Not the hop. It looks like an actual galaxy. Oh, yeah. I could see it. Yeah, it's uh, there's oh, yeah. a lot of lingering sediment that kind of sits in the middle of the spear like a like a half melted lava lamp. Did you uh, did you taste it? Did you feel any of it? Did you did it? Was it? Were you aware that there was like a little bit of thickness there, or not really? You don't know. Other than it's just got a nice, it's got a really smooth, silky mouthfeel. So if that adds to that, then that's cool. But it drinks really smooth. Uh, it's Smooth and a little sweet up front, but it's it's got a nice hot punchiness to it. It's, My guy, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. No, that's delicious. Um, yeah. I, I was maybe I got a little bit put off by the the warning of the sediment, but that's yeah. a tasty beer. No, that's super well rounded. Um, talk that's, a little bit more. I'm gonna find out what other beers we've done by Mason Ale Works because I know we've there's done been Cash. One. Yeah, Cash yeah. is what I'm thinking of. Their Coffee Stout, which was, is was that it? The fantastic. Only, I think that was the only one. Uh, we might have done an IPA from them. I know I drank a bunch of an IPA from them at one point because they came out with one. It was like a single hop varietal in a blue can. And I remember I took it floating and I think I brought one for you to drink. That sounds familiar. Yeah. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Uh, so there's a couple options. Um, so we for sure covered them on episode 101 okay. and episode 64. By the way, can I just say that I love that we have to Google ourselves? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so episode 64, we covered the film Red Sparrow. We did a beer from Kern River and from Mason Aleworks. And this was before the days where we did timelines, but this was the coffee stout. Okay. So that, so was, that cash. was cash. And then on episode 101, we covered the film Ralph Breaks the Internet. This is the one where we did the IPA. Okay. And the IPA was... Oh, no. no? We did that shitty cherry stout. Oh, that beer was gross. Yeah. Queen Anne? Yeah. That and was it a- sucks because Humble Sea's so good. Okay. Well, apparently so is Mason Aleworks. Yeah. And that was a collaboration. So maybe but this brewery's good when they don't uh, play with others. Maybe. 
or that beer just fell short. I think is what the real dude. That was is. that was if I recall one of the worst beers we've done. It's really not like good. top ten worst beers on the show. Yeah, it was in rough. the past three years. It was rough, and it sucks because Humble C does a really amazing Kolsch that I've been enjoying quite a bit. It's available in six packs around here. Okay, um, they do some good stuff, man. So yeah, I can't recall there was an IPA. That we enjoy, I know I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I swear I shared it with you. But, mm-hmm. anyways, that being said, Cash is really good. They're they're yep. coffee stout. I've had at least one IPA that I can't remember what it is that was really good, and this double IPA is fucking stellar. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, yeah, I mean we should touch on alcohol. Does not drink like eight uh, percent. No, that's nice and smooth. It's, it's too smooth. It's smooth and drinkable up front, and it's got this nice little hop robustness on the back end that just like tickles your tongue and says, "Hi, I'm here." But it doesn't sure. like it doesn't knock your senses out with bitterness, which like with a double IPA, you're there's always that risk of it being like too hoppy. Yep. Uh, and you know, if it falls in the way of being too bitter, it can blow your palate out. But you want that drinkability up front with the hoppy backbone, and this beer absolutely kills that. They pick some great hops to use for this. Um, I really like, you know, you can taste a bit of this, the CTZ. I believe I've had a couple yeah, times we, we before. Have. We've had it on the show. I mean, Centennial, that's the sea hop that, that's you know, the, that's that's the, the Sierra, Sierra Nevada, Nevada hop. hop. Yeah, sure. Uh, Simcoe is heavy, Cascade and Chinook. I mean, a lot of the sea hops that Sierra Nevada uses, but mm-hmm. I love Chinook. a letter C. Yeah. Okay. Cascade, yep. Simcoe, Chinook, Chinook. Centennial. Um, really good beer, though. Uh, I'm surprisingly impressed with this one. Price point, please, for the pint can. $3.99. $3.99? Are you sure? Yep. It was 9 bucks for two of them out the door. I wow. bought two so I could take pictures of the other one. Oh, great, man. That, that's a crazy steal. Yeah. $3.99. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's a, that's a great deal. It's an excellent pint, and it's a pint can, so mm-hmm. you get sixteen ounces of the spear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I really like the spear for that price point uh, for a single beer. Um, I was playing a show the other night in Orville, and they had Pliny the Elder on tap from Russian River, Russian River. Um, and I remembered thinking like, because Pliny's I think also eight percent flat. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, this beer does not drink like eight percent, right? And most of the time, I'd say like ninety five percent of the time, like, yep, this is eight percent or more. Nope, not here either. This is a fantastic beer for the value, for the bang of the alcohol, for the flavor profile. Yeah. This is very good. Plus the can's dope. Um, I have a thing with like can art. I know you do. Um, and it's kind of my philosophy with with selecting wine because I am a very, very novice wine enthusiast. I will pick a style that I like and I will select the coolest bottle sure. in that style. And it's usually pretty good. Uh, people that take the time to make cool label art usually are also taking the time to present cool liquid. Uh, very seldom will you run across a brewery or a winery that uh, covers up a bad liquid with a cool label. So right. that's my theory. It hasn't let me down too bad so far, but this beer really falls in line with that. Like I've, I'm familiar with some of Mason Aleworks' other stuff also. Yeah, sure. like I know their yeah. IPAs are good. Uh, anything fresh from them? is really solid. So the fact that we're getting this in Chico up from San Diego, three ninety nine a tall can. That that's seems a, it seems so crazy. That seems like it's a great wrong. Deal. Yeah, but it, I know it's not. It that's was like nine great. nine bucks out the door for two of these. Yeah, man. Steel. Yeah. I like this beer a lot. Uh me too. You wanna rate it? Yeah. 
Uh, would you like to go first? Well, I want to ask you first, what is wrong with this beer? Because I'm going to see if I can pigeonhole you into saying 10. Oh. What is wrong with this beer? What do you not like about this? What could be better? It's honestly a little thin. Really? Yeah. Is it though? For a double IPA, I'd like it to have a bit more body. Come on. It's a little watery. No, it's really? Mm-hmm. I don't get that at all. Yeah. I've almost never disagreed with you more on a beer. You think it's thin? We don't really talk about this with IPAs, but. Yeah, it drinks a little watery, but it's all got right. a great bitter finish. I really do like it. Okay. I was almost going to say it's a little bit too thick. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's maybe personal, though. I don't so know. It could know. be the Four loco sticking could to your tongue. could be the freaking pull of whiskey you did out of my bottle without pouring it into a glass, you heathen. Yeah. Don't put that on me. I'm a savage. <laughs> but okay, sure. You know, personal taste. Yeah. So I would say that. Um, I don't know. There's other than that, not much wrong with it. Okay. That's the, very the, little. The spear's coming in hot at like a 9.1. 9.1. Yeah. Just to be, why not? Why not add a 0.1? Uh, it's a nine for me. It's very good. I'm a big fan of this beer. Yeah, it's killer. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna even say nine point five. Yeah, this is a Ooh. really, really good beer. He starts handing out scores like Oprah hands out cars after he gets a Port Loco <laughs> in him, boy, dude. Well, and you get a nine point five, and you get a nine point five. Look under your seat. There's a nine point five. Look, man. We established in the beginning. I've been drinking a Four Loco essentially. I haven't had a Four Loco in like forty five minutes. That's not the problem here. In fact, there is no problem here. I just think this is a really good beer. I'm not mad at it. I'm not um, mad at you. I'm not mad at your score. Was there a pretty good supply of this at Spike's Bottle Shop here in Chico, California? There was right a f- off the first twelve seventy full row. Uh, yeah, in great. the the research door there. So I'm gonna yeah. go get some. Yeah, if I could drive tonight, I would go get some. You should Uber. Alas, you should Uber over there. <laughs> Did I just slur the word <laughs> Uber? You should Uber there. You should just Uber over there. Uh, I shall not. But. Yeah. Um, I will drive tomorrow because this is a really good beer. Yeah, it's it is. dumb that it's $3.99. That's a, that's a crazy, crazy steal. It's worth swinging by and picking up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're, we're really lucky. There's some great breweries on the West Coast, and they're accessible, which is pretty exciting. If you're like, man, I've been listening to this whole episode, and I forgot the name of the beer. It's Dankenstein's Monster from Mason Aleworks. It's available at Spike's Bottle Shop here in Chico. It's obviously available in San Marcos, probably San Diego. Um, Which is German. Don't. <laughs> For Wales vagina. Oh, you should have left it, man. It was so much better. No. Whatever. That's just like your opinion, man. It's probably available elsewhere, so go get it if you can. We're going to move on. Yeah. To Hot and Bothered. Yes, indeed. So I wrote in our notes a question mark next to the thing that you thought you might want to discuss. Do you want to talk about it or no? I do. Okay. Please. One of the most compelling things on television right now is the HBO original series Euphoria. I'm four episodes in, and I can firmly tell you with all honesty that it's probably the best thing on TV right now. It is raw, uncomfortable. Uh, It's a deep dive into many, many dark places. What is it? Uh, It's uh, an original drama starring Zendaya. 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 Yes, Zendaya. Uh, she is our main character. Her name is Rue. And she is a hopelessly addicted to drugs teenage girl. Uh, and it's a really, really heavy show. Um, Modern day? Yeah. Set, current day. Uh, they deal with uh, a lot of issues in this, like, um, uh, like slut-shaming, sexuality. She's, like, friends with a trans girl. Uh, who's, it's just, there's so many layers to this show and it's a really interesting and perceptive 
look into all of it. It's like looking through the eyes of someone that's living it. Like it's, you're looking at this, all these elements of the universe right now, like it's normal because it is, and it's the world we live in. It's not looking at them like it's characters in a zoo. It's looking at it like you're it's one of the char- you're you're one of the characters yeah. in the zoo, or, sure. you know, animals in the zoo. <laughs> you're a character in the well, zoo. Well, let me. I'm gonna push back a tiny bit. Or you're are just, you saying that? So like we're acknowledging it is a zoo and they are zoo animals and we are one of them, and we're saying they're not even that they're humans. Yeah, and we're just there with them and we're not looking down on them. That's that's exactly okay, it. It's, it. You're just you're right there with them. You're looking at things and they're normal to the people in this. And if you're not of this world or like deeply involved in the everyday goings on of this generation, uh, it would strike you as possibly shocking. But I think it is impressively well written. It is well acted. Zendaya is amazing. She's probably going to win an Emmy for this. I would love to see that. And I would strongly believe it. Um, Just the way they take on like sexuality and self image and bullying and Drug abuse. I mean, just the factor of drug abuse alone would be enough to make a whole show about. But it's a show about a character with drug abuse problems living in the world where bullying and 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 sex shaming and all these things exist. And like you know, she's living without a father, and like you find out why that is in the show. Uh, it's just so multifaceted and and amazingly well written. I'm talking about it now, and I'm only four episodes in. I'm gonna have a full recap in a few weeks. Whenever I finish the whole series, I'll let you know overall thoughts. But as of right now, um, I can't get enough of it. And it's available on HBO. Um, the whole season is streaming now. Yep. It's eight episodes. It's one season. It was created by a guy named Sam Levinson. I was looking through his uh, filmography in terms of director stuff. And uh, there's nothing that I've seen. If you're looking here, Johnny, uh, any of this look familiar to you? Toys. Do you see that? Yeah. Okay. I think he was maybe acting in that, uh, but definitely a guy that has kind of bridged the gap between acting and directing. Okay, yeah, um, but no, I will check it out. HBO, Euphoria, yeah, HBO One original season. series, and I I go in loving Zendaya, sure, which is important. Probably. Yeah, she's. I mean, it helps. Yeah, but just to see her show off dynamic acting ability, yep. uh, in a very serious dramatic role. I mean, her portraying a drug addict is mm-hmm. something I would have never expected. I mean, she's like. Gotta be like 19. Yeah, right? she's very like 20. But I mean, she's playing a high school person. Well, sure. So it's very accurate, but also the depth of acting um, is staggering. Like, it's a very emotionally moving television show. Yeah. Okay. So uh, check it out. Watch it along with me. I'd love for you to catch up and like yeah. for us to have a recap of that in a few weeks. Um, I think how, it's something you would really like. How long are the episodes? It's TV hour. So you're looking at like nice. roughly an hour, 40, 45 minutes, minutes yeah, okay. to an hour. Uh, love it. Yeah. Um, my hot and bothered is very brief. I have a quick hot and it's that I rewatched Groundhog Day, which is a movie that I watched as a kid growing up. It was one of my dad's favorites. Um, and uh, Gianna got home. My fiance, if you're a new listener, Gianna got home from a long day of work yesterday and she was, we were like perusing through Netflix. She got off at, uh, at nine o'clock, nine 30 at night, very late. Um, and we were like, should we just put on the office? And she's like, you know what? Let's watch Groundhog Day. So we did. And while it was playing, we made Weird grilled cheese sandwiches, which was very fun. I thought you were going to say love. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. We made, uh, like, we just pulled stuff out of the fridge. We're like, all right, let's make grilled cheese with tomatoes, or we'll make some buffalo chicken, and we'll put that on the grilled cheese. All sorts of fun stuff. That's so cute. And we watched uh, Groundhog Day 
from start to finish and mostly watching it, but also like in the kitchen. So it's not fully engrossed in it, but I've seen it so many times and it's such a good movie. It's true. Bill Murray has a presence and a power. I know. Yeah. He's powerful. Um, I forgot how much of an asshole he is in the beginning Dude, of that he's movie. Such a dick. He's the worst. He's the worst. And, and and which sort of makes you have to um believe in his redemption arc. And there's moments where it's like, all right, I don't know about this. But ultimately by the end, you're like, okay, good. And I, I just wanted to say for my hot and bother this week that it does hold up for the most part. There's Beautiful. a couple scenes where it's like, all right, dude, this mm-hmm. is dated writing, whatever. But it's very good. Groundhog Day, if you, I don't know why you would not have seen this movie, but it's a classic. You have to see it. Hey, I just watched Caddyshack for the first time not that long ago. So I would argue that Groundhog Day is more classic than Caddyshack. Oof. Because there's more emotion to it. Sure. There's the scene. Uh, okay, real quick. Spoiler alert for Groundhog Day for the next 30 seconds. Oh, God. There's no. a chance. Skip forward now. All right. There's a scene where he, uh, you've seen this recently enough, right? There's an old man who is homeless, and he decides to finally give him money when he realizes he's reliving his days and has to uh, change his ways, basically. Yeah. Points for rhyming. Um, and then the guy is dying. It's his last day to live. And there's one scene where he's like trying to give him CPR in the alley. And it's so, I don't know why. But something about that gets me. Like an old man eating soup and then dying just really <laughs> tugs at my heartstrings. Uh, and then Gianna's like, he's not even doing CPR right. I'm like, damn it. Don't ruin just, this for come me. Come on. If I Every time a guy picked up a guitar in a movie and is like, that's not a G chord. It's not the point is my point. It's a very touching moment. Yeah, it is. And it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Okay. Euphoria for you. Groundhog Day for me. Yes. We should spoil some stuff. More importantly, you should spoil some stuff from Scary Stories Merf. to Tell in the Dark. Let's do it. Man. I don't know what to ask for spoilers. But spoilers nonetheless. If oh, you haven't God. seen this movie yet. I'm scared now. Here we go. We're getting into it. I feel so spoiled. Yeah. You should. <laughs> I am. Yeah. All right. So I set up the whole premise that this is a quest-driven film where these four main characters need to solve the mystery of basically how to get this book to stop writing stories about them. So the main author that is behind the scenes of this book is Sarah yeah. uh, of the last name. Uh, Bellows. Bellows. I was going to say Barrows. I don't it's know very, else. very close. That's close. She's played, and, and I just wrote this down, but it's Kathleen Pollard and does she show up on screen? Very, very limited. Okay. Like, with, yeah, last Do we get a flashback or is it a ghost? Uh, or what's more, it's hard to explain. More ghost slash morphing in and out of being a skeleton. Ugh. Very like wow. Sure. Very cool stuff. Um, so they figure out eventually that this, this girl, Sarah, was kind of the pariah of her family because she had albinism. Albinism? Uh, she was an albino. I know what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that whole word's pronounced. I think it's albinism. Albinism. That's what I thought. So uh, they said it from New York. They said it in the movie, and I I couldn't recall specifically. You sure it wasn't like albinoism? I don't remember. She she was an albino, real real pale, and she looked very different. And her whole family kind of started persecuting her for that Um, in this haunted house event. Like pretty early in the movie, they find like a secret panel. That goes down into like a dungeon, and they figure out that that's where they kept her. Ugh. Like her her own family kept her in the basement, right. essentially behind bars. And her brother was a doctor at a psych hospital that admitted her and did shock treatment on her. 
Um, and the whole crux of the story is that she knew the truth that the paper mill that her family owned was poisoning the town's water supply with mercury. That's so, that seems so dumb. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Little, okay, and sure. it was, it was killing children. Sure. Uh, uh, her family twisted around that she was killing the children and she was poisoning them. Cause she was pale. Yeah. Cause okay. she looked different. All right. Well, okay. Sure. So that's racism. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. I got it. So that's kind of the whole thing. With her is she just gets like shock therapy enough for her to be like, fine, you want me to tell you what you want to hear? I will. Wait, who's, so her brother was shocking her? Yes. Her brother and, was a doctor at the psychiatric hospital right, where and, her family committed her. And she was finally like, I'll tell you what you want to hear. What was the thing that they wanted to hear? That she was actually killing these children. Why would they need her to, to tell them that if they're lying about it anyways? They needed a scapegoat to like. But why uh, would she have to admit it if she's in a psych ward? Why uh, not just be like, she did it, bro? I'm just asking. I, a, I've never I mean, seen the movie. Question. I'm just asking. <laughs> I don't know. All right. uh, that was the the train of thought that Got they it. needed to. And this have is a all scapegoat past, right? and a like, martyr. Like, oh yeah, this is like the this is an old haunted house that got shut down because because of their family and now it's 1968 and we're kids and we're gonna go explore it. yeah so the thing is after she's like admitted to it mm-hmm. uh they like that's when the book started happening it's what kind of the impression that you get uh and while the kids the four main characters are discovering the way this book works and the way that like oh there's a story happening every night it's about one of us Shit's not going. Because they took the book, right? Yeah, they, they took, took it the from book the haunted house from the the cellar after where Tommy they kept locked it. them in there. Yes. But, okay. So they take this book and they figure out that like it's happening to them, and then uh, our main character, the little girl, uh, Stella. Yep. She. How old are they, by the way? Like thirteen. Uh, sophomores. As jun- old as you would have to be um, to watch this movie. <laughs> Ramon, our yeah. our character, was. Um, Dodging the draft. So he was old enough to be drafted into the Vietnam War. So what, seniors in high school? 17, yeah. Yeah, it's like 17-ish, almost done with high school. Sure. So they figure out that these stories are happening to them, mm-hmm. and they f- Stella thinks, well, because she's the smart, smart one in the group. Yeah, right. Whatever one in Scooby-Doo is that is the Velma. smart one. Velma. Yep. She's the Velma. She even has glasses. Okay. So, so she's a nerd. She's the nerd. That's yeah. lazy to me, but okay. Exactly. Because we both wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And we're not smart. That's fair. But okay. <laughs> True. But yeah, they figure out that like we need to figure out what happened to this Sarah Bellows character. Okay. Maybe find out her motivation for writing this book. And maybe that will lead to like figuring out how she got these powers and how all of this is happening to us. They find out that the because when they find the book, half of it's already written. Sure. And the second half is being written about them. But it's they, they don't take it. It's just like empty. And they're like, I'll take it. And then it starts being written, right? Exactly. Okay. So they so, fi- so Sarah is like a pissed off ghost. Yes. Okay. And uh Stella does some research. They go back to the 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 newspaper, start pulling up articles. They end up breaking into a hospital, uh, where the the psych ward where Sarah was held. They start finding out more and more. And the names of her whole family become revealed, and they find all of those names in the stories that were in the first half of the book. Dots connect. Her family just disappeared. Like, they left the paper mill and left the house and just all disappeared. And they put the dots together and realized that she had somehow acquired these powers, wrote stories about all these people that had done her wrong, which were her family, and straight up just disappeared them through her writing, and she was doing the same thing to them. All right. So, all right. Let's talk about VHS. 
Yes. Briefly. Uh, VHS and VHS two. We, uh, they were, they were, um, they were horror movies. Fair enough. Um, released on Netflix or were they released? I don't know, actually. I don't know. But they showed up on Netflix. Yes. And they are anthology horror movies in which a group of young adolescents or old adolescents, I guess, young adults find an abandoned house with a room with a TV on and they put in movies that show us as the audience scary stories. All kinds of crazy shit. The benefit to that type of storytelling is that we don't really have to have some overarching theme of uh, cohesion, Yeah. right? Um, when you're explaining this to me for the first time, it seems like there's a lot of plot holes. Like, why would this happen? Why would they have to blame it on her? Why would uh, why would any of this need to happen, essentially? Um, which comes back to kind of like my initial question is like, did this format of storytelling work? What I've heard about this movie online is that the monsters are good. The scares are good. It does a good job of building suspense, but the story is what's lacking. Yeah. Okay. You're not wrong. Right. It's the, not even my thought. The internet <laughs> is not sure. wrong. Um, yeah. They allude to yeah. that briefly uh, in a scene where like Sarah, like in a flashback in like a weird, somehow they're seeing into the past scene where Sarah like escapes and she's like, I'm gonna tell them all what you're doing. Her whole thing, she's an al- she is she's albino. Yeah, but also she's like smart. And, and they're like, You're weird. She, Get out well, of here. Well, no, but she knows what her family's doing as far as like poisoning the water supply. And they're doing it intentionally. No, but it's like um it's the waste from the paper mill. What kind of fucking waste are they making? I don't know, man. People? I don't know how to make paper. I don't either. Good point. I'm just it's I waste. just write on it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I just wipe my butt with it. Sure. But there's waste involved. When you wipe your butt, there is. Definitely. Sure. And I hope that happens soon. Good luck, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she sees that, like, what they're doing, and she's, like, trying to escape this house, and she's saying, like, I'm going to tell everyone what you're doing, and, like, I'm going to tell them that you killed all those kids. Right. So, like, the fact that she's, like, trying to get out so she can, like, blow the whistle right. on her fucked up family killing a bunch of people might be enough for her to like get locked up and committed. So they just basically need to make her go away. Well, sure. But like, like as the psychiatric ward, how do you, how do you lock her up? How are you not like, all right, why are you in here? Her parents are like, she's crazy. Well, that's, that's where it came in. And she's her, like, look her, guys, I'm not crazy. I just look weird. Kind of not, not even that much. Yeah. But and that's where it came poisoning in everybody where her brother was a doctor there. Oh, right. At so it's like, oh, we can just literally make her go away. Okay. It feels lazy to me, but okay. Fine. Yeah. It's not great writing. It's not great storytelling. It it propels the, the scary plot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're, we're dealing with a person that's- So I guess like, why is Sarah bad? Why is she trying to kill people now? Like, why is she killing strangers? That's the- When th- her whole point in the beginning was like saving strangers. That's the thing that the kids realize eventually somewhere she like broke bad. Uh, and it came with the like shock therapy. Oh, sure. That's the impression we, that we get is that mm-hmm. in the mental hospital, they kind of broke her yeah. and like got her to believe their lies. So when they took her book, like her like implanted truth took over that she should just kill all of them because she's a killer. And that's right. just like what she does. seems like a weird fucked up narrative of people with disabilities is not the right word, but like, um, that are different are like monsters deep down. I don't know. That feels uh, a little icky to me. Yeah. But um, so 
So, so that all happens. The kids find the book. Yeah. And then Sarah's like, you're all dead. I'm going to murder you Mm -hmm. with the scarecrow man, this woman with no toe, Mm -hmm. uh, a person that looks like kind of androgynous, but also kind of pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, what else happens? I want to know the other monsters. This is for me. Yeah. So there was the, this Ramon character is uh, a Mexican young man. He's kind of a drifter, yeah? He was he's a drifter because he's dodging the draft, and you find that out later in the movie. Sure. Um, yeah, he's like the new guy in the group. Yes. He showed up in town. He kind of connected with these other three, the three main characters. Right. And they are locked up in like a sheriff's warden. What would you oh, you like mean the sheriff a... played by Gil Bellows? Yeah. Chief yeah. Turner? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just wrote him down. I want to say his name once. Uh, yeah, like a cell. Wait. His name, his real name's Gil Bellows. I, it's G I L. So yeah, Gil. It's not Jill. I would assume it's probably Gil Bellows. And that can't be right, can it? It's That's, probably Gil Turner plays Chief Bellows. Yeah, I was gonna say that'd be weird. Like I mean, if, I wasn't drinking when I made these notes, but they would make sense. That, but it's, anyways, yeah. yeah, they're locked up. Uh, our main character Stella yes. and Ramon, and the book starts writing, and the sheriff's like, "What's happening?" And the, his dog's looking at the chimney. Right. Oh, that was really Which creepy. is kind of a nod to another story. I think it was called The Black Dog. Yes. Uh, which is a story from the originals, which is almost a nod to Stephen King's Cujo, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But I don't know. Mm, roundabout way. Um, so this dog's basically looking at the chimney, like growling, like something's mm-hmm. coming. And you just see this, all of a sudden a head Ugh. pops out and rolls towards you. Sure. And it starts like saying something. I can't mm-hmm. remember what, but it was uh, the name of the story is what he starts repeating. And Ramon says, oh, no, the sub, such and such is coming for me. It's from, like, my dad's campfire stories, and it always Ugh. used to scare the hell out of me. And it's this character that can disembody itself. Oh, I know what it is. And re-embody. Like, it can disconnect all of its parts, like a G.I. Joe, and then just be like, back together. Uh, and it can twist, like, to where its head stays stationary. But Is it's- it the Jenga Man? Jenga yeah. Man? Yeah. Okay. The Jenga, Jen- yeah. I like to go on record. I did not Google it yet. Yep. I thought of that with my own brain. Good work. Thanks. So that was the other main monster. Yeah. And that thing okay, sure. pursues them quite a bit. It really good. Does stuff. it kill the sheriff? Yes. Yeah. Bad. Yeah, makes sense. Kills him pretty, pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really the other main monster. And then uh, one of the main character's sister is the subject of the red dot Ugh, with spiders. So gross. So gross. And the thing on her cheek just kept getting bigger and bigger. Mm. If you haven't seen it, I've seen the trailers, but like, and that's the one story I remember. A spider like builds a a nest in in her cheek, cheek, like her cheekbone, and like sprouts a leg, and the whole thing bursts open. Little spiders crawl out. It's so nasty. It is. Yep. So the the end, the way it all wraps up, and the way it's solved. Yeah. The whole mystery is solved by our main character Stella. Mm she gets her own story written about her where yep. she is the character of Sarah Bellows. Mm-hmm. So she gets oh. stuck in that position where she's trying to escape this house and her whole family's trying to get her. It was a oh. really cool perspective shift. Meta. Yeah. I yeah. Like it. it was really neat the way they did it. She ends up being locked in Stella's room downstairs. They get her, they get her downstairs. She's Who's locked they? up the family. The family. Yeah. Um, and at that point she's confronted by Sarah Bellows and she realizes like, this is her chance to maybe, how does she set this right? And so she basically says, look, you don't have to be like this. Like, this isn't who you are. This is who they made you. Stella I, says that. Stella says that to Sarah. To Sarah, yeah. 
And she said, Stella says, you know, look, I will tell your story. I will tell the world how they tortured you, how they made you a monster when in fact they were the monsters, but you can't kill me or else I can't do that. So we need this to stop because you're not a monster. They made you one, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, you know, there's a light bulb moment for the monster. She screams really scary and then disappears. Oh. And, uh. Like flash to Stella, like writing a paper for like the school newspaper gets right. published, wins a, like a, a ribbon or whatever. Sure, the largest way to get your message to the nation. Sure. And she's like, no, most people didn't believe me, but some did. But at least we got the truth out there type situation. All right. And all the kids that got disappeared before that. Tommy included. Yeah. The bully. Yep. Never. Like didn't come back. There, oh, they're, they're there wasn't like a happy ending. Oh, okay. Where all of a sudden the kids were all back. It was just they made it stop. So it's like the opposite of the Thanos soul stone exactly. situation. There was no unsnap. That's fine. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh all right. So now we're an hour and a half in. Oh Jesus. Should I watch this movie? Or no? I think you should. Because you told people to watch it, but it's me and you now. I want you should to get, watch I, it. I want you to go be scared. Okay. But I could just watch Halloween or The Thing, which is better. But no. I would rather you watch They Live. <laughs> sure. But I think this is worth seeing in the theater. All right. Uh, how long was it? About an hour 48. I think you're right. Specifically? Actually, I think you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, it's not on the It's sheet. 108 minutes long. Uh, it's an hour 38, I think. 48. You're right. Uh, okay. Well, lots to unpack. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to see it on my own. Probably I will not. That's fair. Unless it shows up at 11 a.m. and it's bright outside and I have a cup of coffee. <laughs> but um, if you happen to see Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in the theaters, please let us know what you think. We'd really, really like to know, uh, particularly me, because I have not seen it. Uh, you can reach out to us via email at fhccast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. <laughs> You, you had to can, think about that. I just want to make sure. You can uh, check out our website, freshhopcinema.com. You can check us out on Patreon, where you can join us for like four bucks a month. A month, you guys. Four bucks a month. Uh, Fresh Up Cinema, Patreon, Google all that stuff. Slashing.com. It'll be perfect. It's crazy. It's a good time. Yeah. Uh, Go sign up. You'll get access to awesome bonus content and fun special events. Thank you guys for listening. Johnny, so really quick, much. really quick, plug um, our Patreon people's event one more time, just in case people want to join. We've done that three weeks in a row. It seems natural to say that we have an event coming up. Yes, we have the Knockdown Drag Out, absolutely coolest party of the summer that we are throwing. It's going to be the first annual uh, movie screening pool party. Uh, there, <laughs> I, there, I said it. You said it, and it's happening this Saturday, and. Uh, if you miss it, then you're dumb. Uh, and if you still don't want to do it, that's fine. But next week we are talking about a film called Good Boys. And uh, by my estimation, it's some combination of Superbad, uh, Booksmart, and other types of coming-of-age raunchy comedy films. Oh, oh it's going to be rough. So <laughs> go see it opening weekend. You can follow along as we review it. We're going to do some beers that maybe coincide with that. I'm not sure what even coincides with Good Boys, but we'll... Johnny's a beer guy. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll make it happen. Uh, until next week, my name is Max Minardi. My name is Johnny Summers. And this episode, as all episodes, could not be made possible without Bailey Minardi. Report to Fat.
This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Cinema.